There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a huge welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Wonderful to be back with you for yet another week. Uh, and today, more fantastic guests, as you would expect. Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to my guest last week. Um, we had Lara Steen. Uh, Lara is the, was the founder of TEDx and, uh, and was a fantastic guest. We talked about, about empowering um, leaders uh, to kind of step up and make a bigger contribution. And uh, Lara with TEDx, um, they, you know, TEDx um, sort of was the revolution and the evolution of TED um, led so far to over 40,000 um, events all over the world. Uh, and Lara's now, um, her latest project, Boma Global, uh, is very much in situ and is uh, act active in something like about 15 or 16 countries. So do check out that in interview as uh, somebody with great, great wisdom and uh, someone I loved, uh, loved talking with last week. So to today's show, we're going to talk about empowering the hybrid business revolution. Um, and you might be wondering, what is that? We're going to find out all about that today. Um, got, as I say, three fantastic guests this week. We've got Carol Macy, Sebastian Fox, and Bob Shearer. Uh, and they're all faculty members at Team Coaching Studio. And they're, they're a really, really experienced uh, bunch of, of coaches and consultants and leadership developers. Uh, Carol and I have known each other for quite a few years now. And uh, Carol is um, co-leads uh, the community practice at Team Coaching Studio with Seb. She's also the uh, co-author of a book, The Mindful Approach to Working Life. Uh, her coaching stance raises the awareness of leaders and teams uh, in terms of enabling them to thrive in the 21st century. And Sebastian Fox. Sebastian set up um, Brown Fox Consultancy almost 20 years ago. He's had marketing roles in the UK, Europe, Asia, and he's a highly qualified coach. And as I say, he um, co-leads uh, Team Coaching Studio, the practice with uh, Carol. And then Bob Scherer. Bob's uh, talking to us today from Germany, no less. Um, he's had many years working globally and helping leaders and uh, living all over the world and transforming and making lots of difference. So three uh, really experienced experts today. Unusual to have three. So we'll try and manage this as carefully as we can. But everybody, big welcome to the Business Elevation Show. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Great introduction. You're very, you're very welcome. Um, done this a few times now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so um, I mean, just, just going through. So, um, Bob, whereabouts in Germany are you? Um, I'm close to Dusseldorf. Uh, so relatively close to the Rhine uh, and the Ruhr. So, uh, and for me in the past, certainly very, very important. I was close to the airport. That's not been such a, such a big benefit the last 15 months. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I worked for, for, for Mars, I used to go to Dusseldorf quite regularly. Yeah. There's quite a bit yeah. of uh, your Mars and um, around that area. And how about you, Sebastian? Where, where were you? Yeah. So I'm located about 50 miles Southwest of London in a tiny little village um, in the, 
southwest corner of Surrey. So just a little place um, all on its own, which uh, means that uh, on days like this, it's nice and sunny outside. Uh, I've got a nice uh, view out my window looking out over some uh, trees and um, some of the fields out there. So nice, nice location. And lovely. And for those, those people who are, who are not watching this, because we know we're starting to put some of these onto YouTube, um, I, I'll just sort of tell you that Bob's got a big, a big, um, a big drawing of um, a fox behind him. What's the significance of the, the brown fox to you? So, sorry. Sebastian, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's about to answer for Bob anyway. Um, <laughs> so um, when I originally set up the company, it was actually eponymously named. I worked with Mr. Brown and um, it seems a bit too good an opportunity to overlook the fact that we could um, call the company Brown Fox. Uh, needless to say, over the past 20 years or so, there have been numerous um, jokes to the uh, quick brown fox, um, as you might imagine. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it's stuck. And um, I've always uh, liked the image of a, of a fox. So um, stuck with it, basically. Absolutely. Of course, of course, it's his surname, isn't it? Which mm. makes uh, a lot of sense. The fox is, um, if you come from Leicestershire, or I do, the fox is kind of the, almost the emblem of the, the county, really. Uh, and, uh, and Carol, um, whereabouts are you? But nowhere as glamorous as Germany or in the country. I'm in, uh, in Robin Hood country in, in Nottingham, in the middle of, of the UK. Um, our closest river is the Trent, and our closest airport is East Midlands Airport. So. <laughs> I, know it, I don't know it pretty well myself. So let's, let's um, you know, the, the world that we've all been living in, you know, with, with COVID and you know, the, with the pandemic and lots of, lots of changes that are happening all around us. Um, you know, have, um, have been very significant. But you also, I mean, I think what's really interesting in these times is that people people have maybe had the experience of, you know, shifting sand underneath them or the carpet being pulled under their feet. Um, you know, they, they do bring some extra wisdom, I think, in these kind of situations. We've all got to, got to hold our, you know, head above the power pit. Um, so may, maybe, you know, it'd be quite interesting just to find out a little bit about, you know, your personal examples of, have gone through, having gone through significant change. Um, so, yeah, Carol, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, you know your examples where you've had to had to adjust to uh, an unusual world. Yeah, I guess the, the sand is continually shifting, isn't it? Really. Um, so, my story is um, so I've learnt really to adapt to change from from birth. You know, as as we all have, you know, our stories shape who we are. Um, as you can, well, you can't see because you're listening, but. I'm of dual heritage, and my father um, was Jamaican, and mother was from Yorkshire um, in England. And uh, I and my siblings really embodied cultural change and all that it brings with it, the good and the bad. And I guess you know, from about being three months old, we moved, moved to Singapore and spent three years there because my father was in the RAF, which uh, must have been amazing, but I can't remember that far back. Um, and we lived in several countries before I got into double digits. And so embracing change and having to adjust to new countries, meeting new people has been in my DNA. Um, and then if we forward on, my father left the RAF after spending 30 years in, in, of service there. And City Street wasn't as accepting back then to change and diversity. And so like many people who came out of the RAF were made redundant. He struggled with, with that change and uh, with systemic and institutional racism. And eventually that led to him taking his own life when I was about 18. And that had a, you know, that had a ripple effect on my mum, who um, these stories kind of play out. So ten years later, she took her own life as well, and that meant lots of change for all of the family. 
but from that, it, it made me become really curious about why people would do that. And my purpose became to make meaning out, out, of, out of life. And so I trained as a psychotherapist uh, in my spare time. I was also a board director for uh, an organization. And that led to me following a career, understanding what people can control and influence what they can let go of. And uh, that search for meaning and purpose led to me training as an executive coach and then a team coach um, and more recently a mindfulness teacher and really so I can be in a bit more service to the clients over the last 20 years who are mainly professionals and leaders um, who are looking at exponential change and today they're looking at how they can increase their resilience uh, and their well-being and look after themselves and their team so, so that brings me to what I do today really all of that has, has fed me doing what I do now. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's the second time you've been on the show. You were with Brian Main, weren't you? Yeah. Many years ago, which I always, always, um, I remember you recalling that story as well. It's uh, really had a big impact on me, actually. And um, you know, you really, you know, you, you, you know, it's fantastic that you've you've stepped up and you've utilised. Must have been a very dark time to uh, to help others. And at the moment, with with COVID and uh, all of the stress that are happening, and I know you do a lot of work with NHS. Um, that that experience in some ways is uh, is coming to its fore, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how how about you, Sebastian? Yeah. So for me, Chris, for as long as I can remember, I've been interested in learning about other people and cultures, and perhaps that curiosity arose because having parents of different nationalities, consequently uh, a family spread across many different countries, uh, it was a very normal thing to be traveling around various bits of Europe and elsewhere to, to see them. So that all seemed very normal. And I pretty much continued to travel ever since and ended up living and working in a number of different countries in Asia and Europe, including uh, coincidentally Singapore. And you know what's really interesting to me is noticing how what we see, how we behave and what we interpret, um, because that's the environment we've been brought up in, how that might be completely different elsewhere. And so what might seem completely normal or reasonable in one place can be interpreted completely differently. And certainly what I've learned leading teams in various countries is that you need to be flexible and adaptable because you just can't make assumptions that just because something works in one place, it's going to work in another. Yeah, yeah. And you, you lived in some interesting place though, didn't you? Did you where, where were you saying you'd been Burma or somewhere? You'd... That's right. I, I lived in Myanmar um, for a number of years and... Uh, that was a prime example of what is perfectly normal in one place can be completely misinterpreted in another. And um, I was uh, going about my own business one afternoon, um, just setting a trail for some friends to run in the afternoon uh, when I inadvertently strayed in the area that was being uh, heavily policed because of a political demonstration by Aung San Suu Kyi um, before she uh, came into power. And clearly the fact that there was a foreigner um, following some sort of uh, trail and doing something that looked suspicious was enough to uh, have me detained for the rest of the afternoon and face some rather awkward questions until uh, they were convinced that there was actually nothing nefarious about my intentions and it was just a case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, I've been fascinating the humility of you three. I remember when we first met asking you about... Uh, whether you had any interesting stories and you struggled. Actually, these, these, these three have got some amazing stories between them, I can tell you, from, the, from their lives. And I do think with, with coaching that it's, it's important. Uh, I think the best coaches that I've met have, have had life experiences. You know. mm. I think uh, 
Yeah. So how about you, how about you, Bob? What's uh, you're living in Germany? Well, how you I'm in Germany? afraid I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to break the mold. There's definitely a bit of a pattern here, um, in as much as that that idea of adapting to unusual change seems to have followed my life around for the last 35 years. Um, so I, I grew up in England on the edge of a small town. And like said, my parents were uh, different nationalities as well. So I grew up with a sense that we never really quite fitted in with the people around us. And uh, there must be something uh, genetic about that because I couldn't wait to kind of escape <laughs> uh, when I could. Uh, and I, I did what my parents had, had clearly done. I left sort of where I was born and grew up and uh, relocated several times and um, yeah that, that's uh, had me living in again like I said some interesting places and um, when you do live in different environments that are very different um, that, that idea of change and adaptation is kind of front and center of virtually everything that you do <laughs> so uh, so yeah there's, there's definitely a pattern uh, a, a pattern for me in, in all of our backstories uh, so that that experience of adapting and embracing difference and change I, I think some people find threatening and frustrating I still love it it's it's stimulating um, I think on a good day life affirming <laughs> so, so we're just gonna just making it on that we're not gonna have a commercial break because I've let, let this go on for a little too little too long we'll keep on keep on going just have one um, so I know, I know you're telling a story about China and you're going the wrong way up a uh, yeah, I mean, that, uh, that, that, that was uh, a series of remarkable events um, and surprises. I, yeah, uh, w one good example of the difference was uh, being in a stretch limo with a, a People's Liberation Army general going up a six-lane motorway at night the wrong way at speed. Uh, and uh, my face clearly told a story that I was, <laughs> I was in fear of my life. And the general just said, don't worry, this is the quickest way to the restaurant. We're only going up the motorway the wrong way, two junctions. People will see I've got a People's Liberation Army number plate and they'll get out of the way. And fair enough, they did. <laughs> How people's maps of the world, people yeah. see a lot of different. Yeah, yeah completely. Different. Yeah. So, so Carol, you, you, um, you know, team coaching is, is your thing. What is team coaching? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Lots of people do ask that, and it's interesting how many teams, how many team leaders don't understand what it is, because it is in its infancy. I mean, it's, uh, you remember where executive coaching was 15 years ago? Um, we're, we're there, really. So we're putting together what competencies are. You know, the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, and the Team Coaching Studio have been working on team coaching competencies. And if you Google team coaching, you're going to get loads of different hits of lots of different um, aspects depending what what area of the team we're looking at uh, and it's also confused with facilitation and team coaches confuse it with facilitation too mm. so our definition is it's about par partnering with with a team in order to unleash its potential and by potential i mean its potential to connect and, and to collaborate to achieve whatever the purpose is that is common amongst the team members and so it's a process really where the team coach will create a safe container or a safe space so the team can step back and they can notice and make meaning of um, hidden realities in their behaviours, uh, their communication, their relationships and how they collaborate. And importantly, they can work out the answers for themselves. So um, well, the reason why I kind of hesitate in terms of what is team coaching, so we all came together because we've got a shared belief that 
there isn't any one right way that you can describe the way that teens behave. And we all believe that what emerges um, in the moment means that we can stay present in the messiness because teens are really messy and working with teens is, is so messy. Um, and we call it sitting in the fire. So we've got to be present all the time. And every team we work with and every team session is different. Yeah, I um, I've done I've done a lot of lots of uh, coaching with teams myself over the last year, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing the diff- different things that come up, isn't it? The different elephants in the room. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Good fun, though. It's very very rewarding, isn't it, when it works well? Um, so, so uh, what? Why are we um, why are we talking about empowering the hybrid um, business revolution today, Seb? And what, what's it all about? And uh, I know we're talking about diversity too. I think. What? What's? What? Why? Why is this important to you? And what is this uh, hybrid yeah. revolution? Yeah, well, that's a that's a really important question, Chris. And look, you know, there are lots of opinions out there uh, on what the hybrid revolution is. It's it's a term that's coming into common play a lot. So you know, our views are based on conversations that we're having with our own clients. And also with members of the team coaching studio community that uh, we've talked about, and, and they're based worldwide. So you know we're we're forming our opinions based on you know, quite a few different inputs and people from all around the world. And essentially, what we're seeing is four forces which shape the way that we work. And in shorthand, these can be termed the the ecosystem, the organisation, the team, and the individuals. And what we're seeing is that the relative power of these four forces and how they impact team leaders. Uh, has shifted significantly since the start of the pandemic. So if I take each one of those in turn very briefly, the way we see the ecosystem impacting on the leader comes from the influence of the larger environment, which we're all part of. So, you know, for example, um, something we've all experienced, governments around the world uh, impacting our organisations um, through their lockdown requirements. That's an obvious example. Mm. And from an organisational perspective, leaders um, are expected by their organizations to keep their team um, members motivated and engaged as well as find ways to encourage them back to the physical workplace um, or potentially. The third force is the one exerted by the team and what we've seen is a real seismic change in the way that teams work and operate. you know, many teams have been forced to operate remotely, as we know, um, and there's a real growing argument that says the art of leadership hasn't kept pace with all the change that's occurred in the wider system. So I think one of the fundamental questions we're asking is, um, are team leaders being asked to perform without being set up for success in the new work situation, whatever that might be? And finally, let's not forget the individuals in the team, you know, it's been well documented that some want their leaders to find ways of letting them work from home permanently. You know, many have enjoyed it and don't miss the commute or working in an overcrowded office and enjoy being in the safe environment of home. And others, they expect their leaders to sort out um, situations where they can all get back into the office as soon as possible. And I think what we're seeing is that in most organisations, um, those four forces before the pandemic were more or less aligned and the way that was manifested were through decisions being made pretty much exclusively on a top-down basis. But since the vaccines have been rolled out, um, organisations worldwide have been increasingly addressing the question of how are we going to work going forward? How will the workforce be distributed? Uh, How's that going to work in practice? What do we need to think about office space? You know, and a myriad of other things that they're going to need to think about to thrive and perform in the new situation. And what we're really finding is that the full forces are focusing the lens on team leaders 
in a way that hasn't really happened before with expectation, what's more, that they'll be able to deal with everything that's thrown at them, no problem. And, and I think the really important message here is that these decisions can't be made in isolation. You know, we're just scratching at the surface at the moment of what needs to be worked out. It doesn't even begin to address some of the fundamental issues uh, like, as you just mentioned a moment ago, diversity. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of, um, and the sun keeps shifting, doesn't it? I mean, at the rest of the minute, we, we've, we've high in doing quite well in terms of vaccination over here. And now we have a, a variant right now, an Indian, Indian variant right now. And suddenly people are starting, I just had a, an event in September, they're thinking now of moving it to January. Um, they, they will have another event in October that we're, we're, I'm involved in. Um, it, it's, it's sort of this continuous shifting sand, and I mean, to adjust, isn't it? Exactly. So how about, what's your thoughts on this, Bob? And what are you seeing as the challenges? Yeah, well, I found myself nodding uh, effusively to uh, what Seb was saying. Um, and I think it's probably worth starting off by saying the challenges are diverse and they do vary from sector to sector. But having said that, the conversations we're having um, are starting to reveal patterns. Mm-hmm. And I think the pattern takes us consistently back to the idea that the four forces Seb was referencing, as long as they continue to collide, that's, that's where the challenges are being created. Uh, and we feel we're on the cusp of another leadership challenge right now that's being created as organizations that have survived the last 15 months are launching hybrid environments for their people to work in mm-hmm. uh, with the view of you know, maybe this will get us the, to the next stage. You know, Maybe this will push our organization through to the sort of post-vaccine stage and set us up for success. Uh, but as said, hinted, that's only true if the leaders who are going to be responsible for making that happen and embedding it all and placating people that aren't happy with this hybrid environment, uh, it's only going to happen if, 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 if the leaders are successful. And, um, and yeah, we're, we're starting to really seriously question whether we're on the sort of brink of a, of a bit of a renaissance period in, in the whole leadership development world. Um, there's, there's an assumption that says, you know, uh, leaders will only be successful if, they, if you feel that they can cut and paste what they've always done using the same tools and approaches yeah. and styles. Uh, uh, can they cut and paste that and assume that it's still going to be as relevant in what is a very radically different environment? So I think for us, that's, that's a point of... Uh, of debate and discussion and an excuse to have a glass of red wine or two to, uh, to shoot the breeze on. Uh, but we're, we're, we're convinced actually that the world of leadership hasn't kept pace with the other um, uh, kind of stakeholders and the, the other parts of the system. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be really problematic, um, really problematic. So um I guess we're at a place where we've started to explore that and um, we've only recently developed um, a sort of capability grid, a, a leadership capability grid where we're starting to explore, you know, what sort of characteristics, what sort of capabilities, what uh, competencies, skills, what knowledge are the leaders of today and tomorrow going to need to lead successfully? And um, And we keep coming back to the idea that, actually this is only going to be possible if teams are highly effective um, and uh, and that opens up some really interesting debates for us you know how how do leaders in this new environment 
really support their teams, uh, help them through yet yeah, more change, uh, and to really leverage um, what's capable. I mean, my background is sort of 30 years plus of leadership development, and there's, there's always been a, a, a beautiful sort of quote that, uh, that I've lent on to kind of illustrate this, this point. Um, from Aristotle, you know, the, the, the sum of the parts, you know, is, 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 uh, is not as big as the whole. You know, the, the whole will always deliver more. Um, so I, I think that's a real bone of contention. How do leaders get teams to work effectively and deliver more than a bunch of talented individuals? Uh, and when you start to explore that, you realize the, the system's kind of not set up for them. A lot of the work leaders have traditionally done is based on helping individuals one at a time. Uh, a lot of uh, processes and frameworks like performance management and uh, pay and rations are based on individual performance, not rewarding and, or incentivizing teams. So, I, you know, that's an example of the sort of uh, challenge that leaders will have if they really genuinely are going to get the, the best out of their teams. Um, I, I was talking to a, a, a really experienced leader recently, and he described his his kind of existence at the moment like bobbing a, about disorientated in some sort of a, a maelstrom in the middle of a storm. Uh, and these forced forces keep bombarding them and and getting in the way of trying to do the work that they want to and um and it's it's challenging so yeah i seem to have been talking an awful lot chris i'll, I'll, I'll answer the question <laughs> by saying i i, I think uh, and, I, and our conversations suggest that the real challenge of leadership is in this new hybrid environment that's unfolding in front of our eyes to try and get hold of teams uh, leverage them, make them more effective than they have been, uh, and do that when these full forces are getting in the way. Um, and when you look at the, the level of difficulty, there's some compelling research that said only 24% of teams ever got to that point in the old system when they all worked together <laughs> and knew each other. Um, so what were the other 76% doing? Yeah, uh, yeah sorry, you no, no, going to go to commercial break. So in a minute. So, uh, but I am, um, and I really, I think you've um, made lots and lots of sense. And uh, I, I sort of took a, a message out there that you know, typically, you know, we've been leading quite a lot of the time with um, almost through the rearview mirror, yeah. Uh, rather than we have to have, now have to create forward and spend a lot of time looking forward and uh, thinking about new practices, new ways, new skills. Yeah. Um, development, etc., to navigate these forces that you describe. So we're going to go to commercial break now. Um, after the commercial break, we'll find out a little bit more about some of these new skills that are are needed um, with um, with my guests uh, Bob, Seb, Astian, and Carol. We'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. We're talking uh, with, uh, with Sebastian and Bob and Carol about empowering the hybrid business evolution, but also, I think, really, you know, thinking about that in the context of teams and team, team coaching. And, uh, you know, before the break, we explored what this was, what, what team coaching is, and also uh, it was shared with us kind of four um, kind of forces that we have to be very mindful of. And, and the fact that at the moment, it'd be very easy for leaders just to continue leading um, almost through the rearview mirror rather than leading, leading forward and creating as they go. And there's, there's challenges right now about, you know, homeworking. Um, we're going to come on a little bit in terms of diversity. Um, there are all sorts of uh, welfare and well-being and all those kind of challenges right now might, um, that we need to be kind of mindful of. So, uh, Seven Carol, let's, um, let's have a little think if we can and explore, you know, what are the new skills, knowledges and awareness that leaders need today to be able to really uh, achieve high performance? I think Bob was saying privately only 24% of, uh, of teams are really uh, achieving that. What, what, what is it that they need to focus on? I'll start with you first, Seb. Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you, Chris. Well, I think one of the ones that comes to mind um, that's really something that most uh, team leaders don't have the skills and experience to address is the team dynamics. You know, we've all experienced teams where there are all sorts of things going on, some which we might notice, some which, some which we might not. So there might be transference, projection, or scapegoating, or, or, or coaching terms. But it's really easy for these dynamics to play out in unhelpful ways, such as when a team member is not to be not seen to be part of the crowd or a particular clique. And you know, how often does that happen? But perhaps the most unhelpful dynamic is the one you've already mentioned. It's about the elephant in the room. You know, I wonder how many people listening have been in teams where there's a big elephant just sitting there. You know, mm. all the team members know there's something unspoken that's getting in the way of their relationships. You know, it might be something trivial or more normally it's something actually pretty fundamental in the way people are relating to each other. But it's amazing. No one says anything. No, it's never raised in any of the conversations between the team. Uh, you know, maybe some of the subgroups or cliques, uh, you know, have a moan about it at the water cooler, but it's never discussed in the team. It just sits there getting in the way of the relationships and performing from the team, uh, performing team getting better. And, you know, having the skills to recognize and understand what those team dynamics are and then be able to do something about it is a really fundamental one that team leaders need to develop. And, you know, it wasn't easy when everybody was sitting together in the office. So how much more difficult is it going to be if some people are in the office and some are not? I think, I think, um, I don't know about you, your thoughts on this. And uh, I, do, I do think that sometimes it's helpful to have um, some external support to be able to do that, to be able to touch on the 
elephant on the in the room and being that, that you know a skill to do it in such a way that nobody feels picked on or or, um, or isolated. I mean, um, yeah, and that's that's something that we as team coaches will be doing a lot. You know, it's about creating that safe space for people to have the conversation. Now those elephants to be named. Mm. Any thoughts from you, Carol? About elephants, yeah, lots. About um, about, we talk about elephants. We talk about we talk about going to go to Africa if we want to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we love elephants. <laughs> That's in our yeah. house. Why is mad about them? Um, <laughs> well, a big elephant that I think that is in the room at the moment with most organisations is mental health, yes. um, and it's a really important one actually. So, you know, having that mental health awareness um, for managers to have that is is a huge skill. If you think about before the pandemic, one in four people had mental health issues, and, and now it, it's, it's less than one in, one in three. Um, and in the UK, there's around about 70 million working days lost every year, which has a cost of about 100 billion pounds um, in, in Britain. So it's, it's really interesting, important topic. And, and, and um, sometimes the way it's, it's handled, and I was talking to somebody only this morning about this, actually, is that the we put together agendas for hybrid working and going back into the office. And often the organisation gives a, a list to the managers and says, this is what you've got to do. Uh, and what they forget to do is talk about the how. It's easy to talk about that what. And, um, and those organisations that are investing in educating managers on how to spot mental health issues are, are the ones that are, are really going to succeed and, and make sure that um, teams are motivated and performance is, is high. So we, we don't expect managers to be medical experts at all. We're not asking for, for that. But they will need to know how to manage the dynamics and teams that, that Seb just touched on. And I'm just curious how many people listening right now feel comfortable about coaching a team member who is in crisis. Because it's a hard thing to do. If you're not trained how to do it, it's really difficult to know if you're going to make it worse. Uh, should you go there? Shouldn't you go there? What do you say? Um, but managers need to know how to do this. And they also need to know how to create an environment of psychological trust and safety. And by that, I mean um, encouraging people to say the right things, to speak up, to, to say the wrong things even, but still to speak up um, and not to be afraid to talk about mental health. So, yeah, I think that's the elephant that we need to, to address. You know, the, the one thing that this year, since the pandemic has really come into my consciousness, that it hadn't to a great extent before, and it's probably due to some work my wife has been doing actually is um is that about 20 percent of people um have some form of neurodiversity mm -hmm. uh, whether it be dyslexia uh, whether it be adhd um whether it be uh, on the spectrum with regards to autism etc and uh and i think that's a really interesting area to explore my, my son's just been diagnosed with severe dyslexia and he he sat his egg, something, he's sitting his mocks at the moment, and he was sitting with about 10 other students who had 25 so 25% uh, extra to work on their exams because that had been identified in them. Um, mm -hmm. But in the workplace, we're, you know, we have people who maybe are very, very detailed, very analytical, or maybe more introverted, or may, 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 we may find that they're turning up consistently late and it's a bit of a joke. Uh, amongst the uh, the company, but actually they may have a form of neurodiversity, which and they may be brilliant in some areas, but that's an area that's really come to my mind in the last last six to twelve months that I'd not not considered before. And how do you harness that in a team? Um, any any practical thoughts on hybrid solutions from you, sir? From um, I know you. Yeah, well, you know, I, mean, I think 
the most obvious one is that the basis on which organizations employ people in the future may need to change to allow for the different working conditions. So, you know, are the terms of conditions which people have uh, traditionally been incentivized, attracted and retained on, will they stay the same? You know, traditionally incentives have been around helping employees get to work and making the office environment as pleasant, as conducive as possible. Is that still going to be appropriate when a large proportion of the workforce is going to be working from home? And similarly, what we're seeing is that the skills and experience and knowledge that's been valued in the past may not be the ones that are needed in the future. You know, there is growing body of evidence that remote working requires a different skill set, behaviours and, and philosophies, the ones that people have been used to hire and promote within the past. That raises all sorts of questions of how team leaders deal with that. So I think what this all means for organisations and their employees is that we're suggesting that as a minimum, they need to accept that it's no longer the case that we can all go back to the status quo you know, before the pandemic. And a really essential first step um, before anything can really be done you know, for the long term is to allow team leads to proactively engage with their teams to understand what's going to work best for all of them. So it's a co-created solution. So what we're advocating is less of the traditional top-down, one-size-fits-all approach from organisations and the need for much greater adaptability and flexibility um, to cope with all the four forces, as you alluded to a little while ago. Yeah, yeah. So, so Carol, we, um, you, you mentioned at the beginning in your introduction about you know, your experiences of diversity and how now you know, it's coming, I think maybe in the break we're talking about, so I can remember how it's kind of coming to the fore now and how you know, your, your, your own diversity is a real advantage right now. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on diversity as part of this, um, this new, mm. new um, you know, leadership paradigm that we sit in at the moment? Yeah, I have loads of thoughts on that. I know we don't have a lot of, lot of time, but it's interesting how the, the balance has shifted you know, with Black Lives Matters and all the things that have happened around, around that to... Um, People, it, it'd be an advantage basically to 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 not have white privilege without getting lots of hairs racing. The you know the interesting thing about COVID is that it has leveled the playing field, and uh, the virus doesn't care if you're rich or poor, what colour you are, where yeah. you live, what your sexual preference is, your gender, your politics, or where you live. Does it really? You know, we all have the same challenges um, to to deal with, and um, and I think a diverse approach for managers would be. You, you generally have to be open to flexible solutions that are unique to the individual that's sat in front of you. Uh, it's, it's not a manager's job to, or even their role, to judge whether my concern about contracting COVID when I'm travelling to work on a bus is valid or not. You know, it's, who can make a judgment on that? Um, or if I'm feeling unsafe about coming into work because I've got to provide childcare, then I need to work from home. And it's not the manager's to make a, a judgment on, on that, we, we feel anyway. And that goes back to managers needing to have a, a really high skill level in, in listening um, and listening with compassion, that's essential, and being transparent as well, because if we want team members to be transparent about the challenges they've got within their own four walls at, at home, then as leaders, we've got to be transparent as well about our own situations. And so, you know, again, I ask the listeners to ask themselves, how comfortable are, are you being with being transparent? And how are you going to react to hybrid working when some of your, your team members have been vaccinated? I've had big discussions about this recently and other people haven't been vaccinated. So that's a whole new level of diversity we've got to consider. Yeah. And in, 
you know, you know, in some countries you can't even ask. You can't say if you've been vaccinated, Chris, because it breaks the law. So, um, so it's hugely important, I think, for managers to be conscious of their unconscious biases. And we all have them. Um, and that includes around career opportunities where one team member is in the office and is visible and another one who's got the same skill sets, equally capable, isn't visible. How are you going to manage that unconscious bias? I don't know if you've read the research, but there's lots of um, evidence saying that women have a preference for working at home in, in general. So how are businesses going to ensure they don't discriminate against those women? Yeah, mm -hmm. And others as well who want to spend more time working from home yeah. and will be less visible. So that's yeah. just the tip of the iceberg. It's a fascinating area. It is, yeah. I've not, I've not heard that, that statistic not before. That's quite interesting. Bob, if you were running one of your, your, you know, your own cli clients' businesses, how would you personally approach these kinds of issues? Well, I, I think we've already covered some of this ground. I think you have to be confident that your leaders have the capability to lead in what is uh, clearly a very different environment and is, and is likely to change again and again uh, as these four forces continue to, to exert pressure. So I think um, if you have confidence your leaders are, are able to, to lead and inspire and engage and they also have the courage to let go as well and let their teams be creative, innovate, and deliver the, the things that they're required to using their own kind of processes and methods. And, then I, I think there could be a bit of a game changer where um, you know, the, the outputs start, start to get um, sort of exponentially uh, better. Um, so so I, I think that's... That, would be where I would start uh, looking at the leaders to release the, the true power of their teams uh, and, and trust that the teams will know how to solve their own problems and that uh, once they've got to a certain level of maturity, they'll lock in to an exciting game that they'll enjoy playing, which is raising their own bar continually. Um, so I, th I think that, that would be an interesting place. Um, as I alluded to before, we've, we've been um, building this this sort of capability model that, that kind of inquires what sort of new things might leaders need to be able to do. And I, I think I, I might be tempted to uh, finish that off and refine it a bit and use that as a bit of a diagnostic tool as well. But uh, yeah, I, I, my short answer is I'd, I'd, I'd be looking to drive things forward using the teams rather than maybe... Um, uh, a, a few senior people that might be responsible or might have in the past been responsible for strategy and direction uh, mm. and mandating how the operation functioned. So, so I'm, at the moment, so it's like for a curveball in here, but you know, I, I have clients at the moment, some are considering staff going back three days a week, two days at home. Uh, I've got clients who are saying, no, you're all coming back. Whether you like it or not, we want you together because we think we can create a better culture with us being together. Um, some are, um, you know, more into the just, you know, you do what you want. Um, wh where do you sit on that? <laughs> well, I think the truth's out there somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> Somebody's got to be right. Carl's <laughs> um, maybe suggesting that, you know, more men might want to be in the office and, and the ladies work at home. I mean, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I think Seb touched on this uh, a little bit earlier, and uh, and I think uh, <laughs> new philosophies required as long uh, as well as a little bit 
uh, of new leadership. Uh, and that philosophy is, is about it's okay to, to get it wrong. Uh, and I think the organizations that will not just survive but will prosper are those that will give anything a shot uh, to see if it works. And if it works, they'll, they'll go all in and support it. If they, if they don't, they'll, they'll learn to quickly try again. Um, so so I, I think there's something in there about the philosophical position organizations take towards what has traditionally been considered risk. Trying something new and edgy actually could be the savior uh, in such a different landscape. So, so I think that's my take on it. Um, letting the people that are close to the work work out how to be more effective. Uh, that, that seems sensible to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so um, great. And kind of moving on, on from that, well, link to that. So, so, back, so you're talking about letting people have uh, more kind of freedom, Bob, in terms of in, in, in their teams to, uh, to perform, maybe a, lot, a bit less command and control and more, more empowerment. And um, what um, would be your thoughts, uh, Seb, around you know, the t- each team itself? You know, what, what do you think they need to do looking forward to ensure they do perform at a high level in this, these unusual times? Yeah, so thanks, Chris. I think first and foremost that you know organisations and team leaders need to acknowledge the scale of the challenge, and that you know it is no longer the case of business as usual as we've just been talking about. And I think if we start from the position that accepts that change is inevitable, um, there is no off-the-shelf solution, as, as Bob said. I think you've got to experiment and work out what works best for everybody and that will require some bold decisions some experimentation as bob has said and acceptance that it's not all going to work but unless you try it you're never going to know but i think the really important thing is that you know right now organizations need to be creating that environment that mindset that culture um, in which their team leaders and individuals can co-create solutions for their collective future rather than having the command and control structure that we've seen traditionally in most organizations yeah yeah, so getting uh, a bit more, um, giving that that freedom, letting go a little bit, perhaps. Yeah, it's quite. I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? I, I, you know, policies and companies. It's like the one you know with some companies. You know, want, want everybody back because maybe, maybe five percent might abuse it, mm. uh, being at home. But actually, you know, maybe maybe thirty percent to forty percent are far more productive. We don't know, but it's it's quite easy to make a policy, isn't it, based upon a minority, but then disenfranchise everybody else mm. to empower them. Your thoughts, Carol? Your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's interesting. So and we said that the leader was in, was in the middle and that person's responsible for making this work. And the leader needs to think about the forces in the organisation as well as the where, where, where is the most pressure going to be on the leadership community. So, for example, if you, if you just have a tick box which you talked about earlier, and your managers are working through that, that tip list. You need to think about the BAME community, community um, you know, your LGBT community, the, the women working from home that we've talked about earlier. You need to think about every, everybody and their uniqueness as you go through that. And think about uh, the individuals, how the team connects together, the environment they're working in, and use those four forces as a way of reflecting on that balance. And we often say, if, if you were to draw those four forces out as either a, you know, a two by two box or, or circles that represent the size of those, those forces, then that will give you um, an insight into where you need to pay your attention to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Excellent. Well, well, lots and lots to think about. Um, and uh, no set of solutions because it all varies d- depending upon the organization, the nature, the situation, the scenario. But uh, I think what a message I've sort of taken out of this is that we, you know, leaders need to be very careful right now that they're not making decisions based upon habitual past behavior when actually something new is required. I think that's what I've taken taken from this. Um, have you got a final message, Seb, that you'd like to to leave us with? Yes, I think picking up on on that, uh, Chris, you know, I think the really important thing right now is that leaders need to be creating that safe space, that container, which allow the team to um, co-create those solutions. And as Carol uh, referenced, you know, that means recognising the reality of these four forces of the individual, the team, the organisation, the ecosystem, and bring those into balance. And, you know, one of the ways to do that is by creating greater psychological safety in the team, being more open, uh, flexible, and adaptable. And I think one of the areas that team leaders really need to, to work on is being more open about their own areas of personal uh, development and their own vulnerabilities. You know, there's been a lot of talk um, about that um, by by other people, but role modeling that vulnerability in order to enable people to speak up without fear, uh, that's going to be one of the real challenges. And that's, the way really they're going to people to come up with robust solutions that are going to work for everyone. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Seb, and how about you, Bob? I, I'd probably like to go back to the listeners and, and ask them a couple of questions. And, and the first question I'll pose is uh, whether they think their organisations are ready for this revolution in hybrid environments. Uh, question mark uh, answers on a postcard please um, and then secondly whether they think their leaders are capable of moving the organization into a post-vaccine phase um, and as a bit of fun uh, to help them answer these questions we'd, we'd like to offer a little diagnostic quiz uh, that we'll make available. Um, takes three or four minutes to answer, uh, and um, it, it will give you a response. <laughs> um, uh, so we, we hope it's a bit of fun, but but there is a serious side that it, it is provoking some actually legitimate, serious commercial questions as well. Excellent. So this is the one at uh, quiz.tryinteract.com. Yeah, is that yeah that's it. Quiz.tryinteract.com. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh, and uh, a quiz there, an opportunity for people to, uh, to, you know, I think what you've just done there, Bob, in asking questions is really important. It's because questions, I think, I think it's not all about answers, it's about asking yourself questions, isn't it? And then, then you start to derive the answer to yourself. Yeah. So questions are important. Carol, last but absolutely not least. Hmm. I, I think my biggest message would be, if you've got a, if you've got this this checklist of all the different things you need to do to make sure that um, moving into a hybrid workplace is going to work, then see the person in in that. It's, it it will be that the most important thing from the pandemic is is common humanity. That's one of the words that are are going around. And um, people are are arguably more important than than the task. So think about the people first. Fantastic. Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you all. Um, really. 
really engaging. I still can't believe I asked Sebastian Fox why he had a fox behind him, but uh, there's always um, always something to remember from uh, from uh, my own uh, vulnerability to learn. Um, but it was absolutely brilliant. Thank you, everybody. And um, if you want to find out more, um, you can try the quiz at quiz.tryinteract. That's T-R-Y interact. Dot com and uh, for more information you can go to brownfoxconsultancy.com find out more about what's um what bob sebastian and carol are doing on next week's show um we have an amazing guest it was a great interview i did this one on monday because i'm having a having a, a friday off next week uh, and we've got on oh, no, sorry it's not clint pulver next week i do apologize we've got um that's the week after but do listen to the clint pulver show because i assure you he's brilliant we've got michael roderick next week um, who I think Michael was a uh, has been a, a, a producer on um, New York. Um, what do you call it? Where all the the theaters um, theater produced in New York? Yeah, Broadway. Yeah, on Broadway. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, fascinating, fascinating. Time. Do join us for that one. And the following week, the Clint Pulver show. Clint was a, a drummer on uh, Britain. America's Got Talent, um, but also is the undercover. Um, it goes undercover, like a bit like undercover boss, and finds out why um, your, what your staff really feel about you. So we're talking about client retention that week. Once again, a huge thank you to um, to the team here. Been absolutely brilliant. And uh, if you've got any questions, comments, Chris at chriscooper.co.uk or get in touch with brownfoxconsultancy.com. Take care, everybody. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.